Luke chapter 16. If you're ready, you ready? Ready, all right. Uh, so we're in the sermon series called In His Steps, where we've been facing the life of Christ chronologically. And today is part 18. You think, man, this is the longest sermon series I've ever been a part of. It's the longest one I've ever preached. So you're in good company. Today's title is He Who Dies with the Most Toys Still Dies. John Edward McGee Jr. He was super famous back in the 2000s, early 2000s. He had his own TV show on the Sci-Fi Network. He was a featured guest on Oprah's show. And then he got his own show. And when he got his own show, he went by his first and his middle name, John Edward. His TV show was super famous back then. It was called Crossing Over. Any of y'all remember Crossing Over with John Edward? Well, in this show, he claimed that he claimed that he could contact dead relatives and they would speak to him. On his website, you can pay $850 for a private reading so that he will contact a dead relative on your behalf. And in order to get this private reading from him, you have to provide your email address, your full legal name, your address, and any recent previous address, all your phone numbers. But by giving him this information, he is able to access the treasure trove of the internet, Ancestry.com, whitepages.com, about all of you and all your dead relatives before he gives you a call. If they're fake, Psychics and mediums start broad and then with little clues or hints from the person they're reading or maybe just guesses, they get more and more specific to make you feel like they're actually communicating with a dead relative. That's if they're fake. If they're really a medium, according to the biblical standard, they are possessed by a demonic spirit, and it is not someone that you want to be messing with. It's not that they're stronger than us, but God specifically condemned his people and commanded us not to consult with mediums and people who supposedly speak to the dead. Why? Because If you go to a medium or a psychic, you're either getting information that is fraudulent or demonic in origin. There's no truth there. They are not empowered by the Holy Spirit. They are empowered by a demonic spirit. So there's no truth from the information that you get. There's nothing there that you will hear to incite holiness. Instead of being drawn into a deeper relationship with God, you are charged access to a person who's either Googling you or they're filled with a demon who knows all the people that are in hell and is willing to speak falsely from the grave to you for a price. Now, my parents and my grandparents have all passed. Would I love to talk to them one more time? Absolutely. There are lots of things I would love to ask them. I'd love to say to some of them and things that I would like to ask to some of them. I I would love to hear about their experience in the afterlife. But Jesus 
address this very issue in the passage we're dealing with today. And if I summarize this, this message into one big idea, it would be this statement. This life is short and unpredictable, so choose your priorities well. This life is short and unpredictable, so choose your priorities well. To illustrate that point, Jesus told the parable of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16, 19-31. So let's read the first couple verses, verses 19-21. Verses 19-21, it says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feast sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs dogs came and licked his sores. Jesus paints quite the picture. I feel like that last sentence could have been left out. But Jesus felt like it was worth noting. The dogs came and licked Lazarus's sores. I assume that is the only relief he got. What we see in this section is a contrast in life. Luke 16, 19 through 21 shows a contrast in life. This unnamed man was exceedingly wealthy. He had everything he could possibly want. He ate fine food. He wore fine clothes. There was nothing that his wealth did not provide for him. His life could not possibly have been any better. Physically, financially, emotionally, relationally, all was exceedingly great for him. He lived magnificently and was incredibly happy with all he added to his life. So the rich man was incredibly rich at everything he could possibly want. In life, the contrast here is Lazarus. And this is the only time that Jesus ever provided a name for someone in any of his parables. This leads us to believe that it is a true story, and it might be. But this Lazarus is not the same Lazarus that Jesus rose from the dead. We'll actually cover that story in John chapter 11 next week. The reason that Jesus described the death of Lazarus and his entry into this afterlife is that uh, this is a different Lazarus because in the next week's story, John 11, Lazarus has not died yet. So this guy is dead and buried and all this stuff. So two different guys. Now, it's interesting because these are the only two times the name of Lazarus appears in Scripture. Um, But it's actually a very common Hebrew name, Eleazar. So that's the, the Greek version of Eleazar as Lazarus. Now, Lazarus in this story, Luke 16, he's a poor beggar. He's laying outside the rich man's gate. He's covered in sores, and he's so desperately hungry that he gladly eat table scraps for a meal. Despite being so, so close to this ridiculous amount of wealth, an abundant food. Lazarus was starving. The only attention he got was from the dogs. And the rich man knew that Lazarus was there. He knew the state of his condition. He knew and he did nothing. 
This story speaks to us in multiple ways. And this first section, is it shows us this important principle. Use your life as a force for God's goodness and not your own selfishness. I'll say it again. Use your life as a force for God's goodness and not your own selfishness. Because, make no mistake, judgment awaits us all. If we knew about injustice laying at our gates and that we could do something about it, we will face the consequences of our inaction. Let's continue. Luke chapter 16, verses 22 through 23. It says this, and in, I'm sorry, verse 22, and the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Let's take a a stop there. So first we saw a contrast in life. Now we see a contrast in death. Lazarus was greeted by angels when he died and was ushered into paradise. When Lazarus, what Lazarus had lacked in his physical life, he was rewarded for in his eternal life. The rich man was dead and buried and was ushered into hell for torment. Their lives were completely different, and thus their internal destinations were completely different. Now, obviously, the rich man didn't go to hell because he was rich any more than Lazarus went to paradise because he was poor. The rich man went to hell because he was unrighteous, and Lazarus went to heaven because he, or went to paradise because God considered him righteous. But notice the rich man's state. He was being tormented, he was being tortured. When I was a kid in the, in the mid-80s, there were all of these heavy metal bands that started gaining popularity for focusing on the devil. ACDC, Highway to Hell, Motley Crue, Judas Priest, Twisted Sister, so many other bands. Don't Google them. Don't, don't start pulling up Apple Music. <clears throat> They were heavy metal bands that were popularizing a a focus on the devil. And they made it seem like heaven was for boring people and hell was where the real party was going to be. Now, if if there is an authority on what goes on in heaven and hell, it's God. If you're going to get information from any source, get information from the source that will not steer you wrong, that will actually give you the correct information. And Jesus presented this story as proof that hell is not party central. It's a place of torment. The second section shows us this important principle. Realize that your priorities in this life Determine your destination in the afterlife. Your priorities in this life will determine your destination in the afterlife. If you prioritize yourself, your comfort, your magnificent lifestyle, and adding all the selfish comforts of the world to this life, ultimately making yourself into your own idol... You will have lived your best life now, and you won't be living your best life in eternity. 
The rich man's expensive funeral didn't affect his eternal destination one bit. When he died, he couldn't take all of his wealth, all of his fine clothes, and, and uh, add all of his expensive possessions to his afterlife experience. For those of you that are students of history, you know that when Howard Carter found the tomb of King, tu- King Tutankhamun, do you know what he found there? He found all of the wealth that King Tut had been buried with. Tut didn't take one cent with him into the afterlife. And neither will you. Death is not the end of existence. There are those that believe that when you die, you cease to exist in every way, and there's no heaven and there's no hell. However, the author of this book paints a completely different scene. And he should know because he created heaven for the righteous and he created hell for the devil and his rebellious followers. So death is not the end. It's just the beginning of an eternal existence. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We're either present with the Lord in his love and his grace in heaven or we are present with the Lord in his justice and his wrath in hell. But it's about what you choose to prioritize in this life that makes the difference. Do you prioritize yourself or do you prioritize God? This last last section gives us the picture of the afterlife. Luke 16, 23 through 31. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things. And Lazarus in like manner received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. The rich man said, then I beg you, father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. The rich man said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Abraham said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. The story, we see a contrast in life. We see a contrast in death. And now we see a contrast in eternity. This story gives us a unique glimpse of the afterlife before Christ's crucifixion. He told people, no one comes to the Father, no one goes into the Father's presence except through me. Before his death, burial, and resurrection, the righteous dead did not go to heaven, they went to paradise. That's what this story is telling us. And so Hades, the underworld, was essentially made up of two places, Hell and paradise, and these two locations were separated by a great chasm. 
The rich man is no longer rich. He lifts up his eyes, being in torment. And he saw Abraham and he saw Lazarus together. To the Jewish audience hearing this story for the very first time, this would have been a shocking event. They get Abraham being in paradise, but what's Lazarus doing there? Lazarus had been diseased, and therefore he was unclean. He would not have been able to participate in the Jewish festivals. He would not have been able to bring offerings to Jerusalem. He would not have had his sins cleansed and covered on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Lazarus would have died an unclean beggar. But God is not looking for an outward show. He is looking for inward holiness. It doesn't matter if you attend every religious service and obey every commandment if your heart is wicked. The man in hell asked Abraham to send Lazarus over to his side to provide him some relief from the torment. That word torment is used four times in this passage. And it's clear that it refers to actual pain and torture. Don't let anyone fool you into thinking hell is party central because it is not. Abraham replied, the rich man had all the comforts he could possibly want in life. Lazarus lacked relief. But now in eternity, their roles are reversed. And they would remain so for all eternity. Abraham said in verse 26, And besides all this between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. In some Christian circles, there's a belief of that you can pray someone out of hell, that you could pray someone out of purgatory, Purgatory does not exist according to Jesus. It does not exist according to the Bible. But there are people who believe that you can pray them out of their eternal location and pray them into heaven. And people who believe that are unfortunately incorrect. There is no movement from one place to the other according to this passage of Scripture, according to Jesus. So if Lazarus can't come to him... The rich man asks if Lazarus can go appear to his brothers who were all unrighteous and needed a wake-up call. And to be honest, a ghost appearing in your bedroom in the middle of the night would certainly do it. But Abraham's response here is really important. He indirectly says that's not allowed. The destiny of your afterlife is a fixed and permanent location. Even though John Edward wants to charge you $850 to summon a dead relative to speak to you, it's deceptive, it's demonic, and it's not possible. That's not them speaking. It's a demon who's been around for thousands of years, who knows all sorts of details about deceased people, and he wants to give you just enough information in order to believe this demonic source to trust them instead of trusting the Holy Spirit. In response to the rich man's request, one commentator remarked this. He said, people in hell have a concern for the lost, but they can't do anything about it. Can you imagine hell? The place that most people don't even realize they're going to. 
when they arrive, having credible concern for all their relatives, they wouldn't want anyone to go there. They have tremendous concern for the lost, but once they're there, they cannot do anything about it. Notice what Abraham said in verse 31, Luke 16, 31. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is incredibly important for two reasons. First, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is emphasizing the Torah and the prophets, what we call the Old Testament. Growing up in the assemblies of God and growing up in Christian churches, all my life I've heard people call themselves New Testament Christians because they didn't have anything to do with the Old Testament. If I told them, that I had been reading Jeremiah the other day, they would ask me why. They've never read the Old Testament and they don't intend to. They say it's too confusing. It's it's irrelevant to non-Jewish believers that it doesn't contain anything valuable for their walk with God. Every single one of those excuses is 100% false. It's not confusing if you're willing to actually study it, just like you study the New Testament. It is relevant to non-Jewish believers in Jesus Christ, and it contains 39 books that are absolutely valuable to your walk with God. Choosing to ignore more than the majority of the Bible that you carry around in your hand is not only foolish, but it gives you no context for the things that Jesus said and did. How can you even care that Jesus fulfilled hundreds of Old Testament prophecies if you've never read them and have no desire to? It's amazing to read these Old Testament prophets who are prophesying the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the northern kingdom, the destruction of the southern kingdom by way of Assyria and Babylon, and then it happens. And right in the middle of these prophecies about the destruction of Jerusalem, the Spirit moves on them to prophesy about the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. And then they go back to prophesying the destruction of Jerusalem. It's like the Holy Spirit says, while you're in the midst of a move, while you're listening to the Spirit, I'm going to give you a little nugget. And they share this prophecy that reveal the Messiah. Jesus quoting Abraham here makes the clear point. Even if you do not have a single New Testament book in your Bible, the Old Testament is more than enough to point people to a right standing relationship with God because every single book in the Old Testament in one way or another is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't have nearsighted faith. Every book of the Bible has value. Every book is important to the story. Every book is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It reveals God loving his people, protecting his people, blessing them, disciplining them, judging them when they chose idolatry, and then restoring them. For 6,000 years, God's been doing that for his people. And we have a book that covers the first 4,000 of those years. And it stood for generations. And God's word will stand forever. 
Jesus said in Luke 16, 17, earlier in this chapter, he said, it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the Torah to become void. And then later in Luke 21, 31, Jesus reiterated the point a different way by saying heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The second significant point in Luke 16.31 is this. Jesus is foreshadowing the reality of his resurrection in this statement. He said that if people disregard Moses and the prophets, they would disregard the testimony of someone who's risen from the dead. What's Jesus about to do? He's about to die, be buried, and be raised from the dead. Who didn't believe Jesus' testimony? The religious leaders who loved keeping the laws more than they loved God, the lawgiver. But if people have open and receptive hearts to what God was speaking through the Torah and the prophets, God could reveal to him that he, that he was the creator of the universe in Genesis. He was the Passover lamb in Exodus. He was the suffering servant in Isaiah. He was the faithful husband in Hosea. He was the good shepherd in Ezekiel and so much more. I'll ask our worship team to come up. I forgot to mention at the beginning, if anyone had any questions, they could text him. So you can feel free if you want. If you have a question about the passage we've covered this morning, you can text a question or you can just shoot us an email and we'll try to respond to it. We love to have an, an, a dialogue and an interactive sort of thing, but we want to make sure people feel comfortable in doing that. So you can always text questions anonymously to a phone number and we'll address them uh, because we love to have that opportunity to, to discuss a little bit. <clears throat> but I want to I I leave you with this. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to leave you with this. The rich man was not condemned for his wealth any more than Lazarus was justified by his poverty. Abraham was incredibly wealthy. He was in paradise. It's not the contents of your wallet, but is the condition of your heart that determines your afterlife. When you trust in riches... You're not trusting in the Lord. When you trust in yourself, you're not trusting in the Lord. When you trust in your talent, when you trust in your ability, when you trust in your ingenuity, you're not trusting in the Lord. The day is coming for all of us when our life will be over and the things we treasured in this life will determine our afterlife. As I said in the beginning, this life is short. It's unpredictable. So choose your priorities well. Today, make a decision that with all that's unpredictable in the world, you will give your life and live your life for the faithful one. The one who will never let you down. The one who will never let you go. The one who will never leave you or forsake you. Nothing else in this life will satisfy. Nothing else in this life will ever justify you before the living God. Nothing else and no one else has gone to the lengths that Jesus did to save you from your sins. In a sign of total surrender, would you just raise a hand to the Lord 
this morning. Father, we ask your forgiveness of our sins. We ask that you cleanse us from our unrighteousness. We ask, Lord, that you would help us. We know that we sin. We know that we make mistakes. But, Lord, we thank you that we have forgiveness of our sins. We have the cleansing of our sins by your blood, Jesus. And we thank you for the blood. Because nothing but the blood of Jesus can wash away our sins. And so, God, we surrender to you. And we thank you, Lord, that we have that opportunity to receive your grace and your love. Help us, Lord, if we're not prioritizing our life right, help us, God, to do that. Help us surrender to you in every way. How we spend our time, how we spend our money, what we do with our our days, what we think about, what we prioritize. When we, when we are faced with a situation and we think, I've got to figure this out, Lord, that you would help us remember that sometimes you put impossible situations in our path so that we can't figure them out, so that we'll depend on you, so that we can lean on you, so that we can look to you who will do the impossible. So, Father, we just take these last closing moments in worship to you. And we thank you, Lord, that we can depend on you. Save us and set us free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.